Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 327 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about inequality uh, in ownership, okay? Uh, and specifically, how that bears its way uh, into the stock market. Now, um, it is well documented that uh, the top 1% of people in the U.S. or 1% of wealth owners or 1% of income makers, whatever, uh, own you know, large percentages of the assets in the U.S. That's uh, very well known, right? Uh, but we're going to talk about exactly what that looks like today, uh, some of the impacts that it has, uh, and exactly what we might need to do about it, right? Is there anything that needs to be done about it? And is it having any outsized impacts that are going to be long lasting in our markets uh, that we will not be able to reverse? So we're going to have a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. Now, I tell you guys all of the time about the importance of being invested, the importance of investing your money over the long term. It is vital. It is vital to invest your money. It's vital uh, to grow your money uh, over a long period of time. If you do not do so, right? if you are not growing your money, if the value uh, of your money is not increasing over time and it's remaining stagnant or it's going away, uh, then you're going to have a hard time, one, building any type of wealth for yourself, uh, two, building any type of generational wealth, uh, and then three, actually being able uh, to have something to show for your financial life over the long term, right? Um, I want you to have something to show for your financial life. I want you uh, to be able to move up the ranks uh, of the you know individuals as far as uh, wealth ownership in the United States. I want you uh, to make more and more income. I want you uh, to have a high net worth. I want you to be a high net worth individual. Uh, I want you to be somebody who can uh, live a comfortable retirement. I want you to be somebody uh, who has um, a lot of money to be able to do whatever they want to do. You have financial freedom. You have uh, the ability to you know have options with your money. Right. And that is an amazing thing. I want you to have that. Okay, But the only way you can have that is if you invest your money and if you do so properly. Now, there are many things that, you know, we can invest our money in. And, um, you know, we talk about them all the time. Right. Uh, primarily the stock market. Right. Which is going to be much of our focus today. Right. But also real estate. Right. Real estate is something that is um, also heavily invested in, not just by the richest individuals, but uh, by the common individual, right? Uh, a lot of individuals in the middle, in the middle class, right? They own houses. And so they are a part of this real estate market. So if they have uh, any wealth at all, it's typically found in you know real estate in their primary residence. Now, this can be a problem 
for many reasons. One, that primary residence is not creating any income for you. Uh, and two, that primary residence is not appreciating in value uh, as much as you know many of the appreciating assets that we could invest in, uh, like the stock market or other rental real estates could do. Okay, so that's a problem, right? Uh, but ultimately, you're putting your money into something, into some type of store of value, uh, into some place where it's a forced saving. So at least you have that, right? But you need to have something above that. There needs to be something more. You need to have ownership of something that is going to appreciate in value over time. And you need to have something that you can keep pouring money into even once you have your house paid off and you have uh, that asset under your belt. Okay. So let's just start. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, has this quarterly report, and it breaks out the assets held by uh, the wealth percentile of U.S. households. Okay, so let's just talk about what exactly that really looks like, right? Um, you know, how much wealth does that top one percent that everybody touts really hold? Okay, well, the top one percent, right? They hold uh, approximately, right? It's somewhere around forty-five trillion dollars uh, of wealth. Now, this amount is less than both uh, the 90 to 99% um, of individuals and the 50 to 90% of individuals as far as uh, the wealth percentiles. Now, so surprised that the 90 to 99% would have more wealth than the top 1%, right? Uh, you're comparing a 10% range to 1%, right? But then you have to compare a 40% range to the 1% to get uh, individuals that have more wealth than the top 1% above and beyond that. So that's quite telling that the top 1% is uh, quite massive in the amount of wealth that they have, like I said, around $45 trillion, okay? Now, when it comes to the different asset classes or these different wealth components that the Fed looks at, uh, let's talk about the amount in trillions of dollars that each of these um, you know, percentile groups actually holds. Okay, So the top 1% has $4.96 trillion in real estate. The 90 to 99th percentiles have $10.62 trillion in real estate. Uh, the 50 to 99 has the most uh, you know, allocation in real estate, and that is uh, 14.97 trillion. And the bottom 50% of uh, 4.33 trillion. So the 50 to 99 has the most uh, in real estate because obviously they own single family homes, and the 90 to 99% uh, have as well. But it is, you know, quite telling that the top 1% owns almost $5 trillion in real estate. I would guess a lot of that is not their primary residences, okay? Then there's consumer durables. Those are um, you know, pretty negligible in this uh, particular study, so I don't want to uh, get bogged down in that. I want to move to corporate equities and mutual fund shares, right? So ownership in the stock market, basically, right? The top 1% has $21.71 trillion in the stock market, okay? The next 10% of individuals, 90 to 99%, only have 14.16 trillion. So the top 1% has $7 trillion more approximately in the stock market than the next 10% of wealthy individuals. And then you get to 50 to 99 uh, percentiles and you get uh, only 4.24 trillion in the stock market. And then the bottom 50% has 260 billion uh, in 
the stock market. So, you know, less than a trillion in that particular case. So uh, there's a big disparity going on there. There's a big disparity uh, in what is owned and ultimately uh, what is owned by uh, different wealth levels, right? And it's no surprise because a lot of these wealth levels are created by uh, ownership and publicly traded companies. We think about the richest individuals in the world that we can think of. Uh, the Elon Musks, right? Uh, the Jeff Bezos, uh, the Bill Gates, the, uh, you know, all these, you know, individuals at the top, the Warren Buffetts. How did they make all of their money? They are CEOs uh, of large publicly traded companies that are worth a lot of money, right? Uh, and that have grown quite a bit over a long period of time. So it's no surprise uh, that this is the case, but uh, it is pretty, you know, staunch, the, the difference uh, in wealth, right? If you talk about the top 1%, like I said, their total wealth uh, combined is about $45 trillion and $21.71 trillion of that uh, is just in these uh, corporate equities and mutual fund shares, is just in the stock market, right? Uh, whereas uh, the 90 to 99%, uh, their wealth is somewhere around the you know $52 trillion range, right? Uh, and they've only got $14.16 trillion uh, in the stock market, right? So a much larger portion of the wealth of the top 1% is in the stock market uh, than uh, for the 90 to 99%, definitely for the 50 to 90, and then obviously the bottom 50% holds almost nothing uh, in equities, right? And so this is really telling uh, when we talk about uh, all this legislation that's uh, you know being passed or that they're trying to get passed right now, and uh, it's a pretty pared down bill compared to what it was weeks and months ago, right? Uh, but the top you know people, the top one percent, whatever, right? How are you actually going to get to their wealth? How are you actually going to get to? Uh, tax them. And it becomes quite simple if you just look at these uh, values. It becomes quite simple as to where all their wealth is. Their wealth is in the stock market, right? And if all their wealth is in the stock market, then how do we uh, go about taxing individuals who are invested in the stock market? Well, capital gains tax is one way, right? Uh, not allowing individuals to borrow uh, on their debt or you know get rid of this whole stepped up basis type things. I'm not suggesting these things. I'm just saying if you're trying to tax the rich, if that's what people are trying to do, right, then why are they not going uh, for these obvious choices, for these obvious ways uh, that the wealthiest individuals are making their money, right? Uh, but they're not going to try that. Um, and there's a bunch of corporate interests that are keeping them from trying that. And so nonetheless, um, as long as they don't, they're going to miss out on a lot of where the wealth of the top 1% is. Okay. Then pension entitlements, that's something that's, you know, I think pretty interesting because the top 1% has, you know, very little in pension entitlements, uh, about one and a half trillion dollars. The 90 to 99% has $15.22 trillion in pension entitlements and the 50 to 90% have 13.31 trillion in pension entitlements. And then the bottom 50, less than a trillion. Okay, uh, so those middle groups have a lot in entitlements um, as far as uh, pensions go. And then uh, private businesses, uh, the top 1% holds the most uh, in private businesses at $7.67 trillion, And then that just goes down uh, as you decrease in uh, the wealth percentiles. Uh, and then other assets, which I guess could be anything, uh, is relatively equal between uh, the top 1%, the 90 to 99, and the 50 to 90, uh, with the bottom 50% having very little else uh, in other assets, okay? Now, 
This data is kind of depressing, right? The top 10% owns 45% of the housing market, while the bottom 90% owns 55% of real estate in this country, right? And if you think this seems out of whack, just wait until you see the ownership numbers for financial assets. The top 1% owns nearly 22 trillion in stocks and funds, which represents almost 54% of the total ownership. The top 10% owns 89% of the stocks in this country, meaning that the bottom 90% owns just 11% of the stocks. The bottom 90% of individuals, as far as wealth goes, uh, own 11% of the stocks, right? Um, this may be overkill, right? But there's another chart uh, in order to illustrate how imbalanced things are. So if you look at the top 1% and you look at the percentage of uh, a particular type of financial asset that they own, right? So if you look at the amount of housing that they own, it's, you know, close to 15% uh, of the housing market, the, the top 1% own, right? But you compare that with uh, the stock market where they're owning almost 55% of the stock market, it's, there's a big difference, right? Uh, then with the 90 to 99% group, it's much closer, right? The amount of housing that they own uh, and the amount of stocks that they own is really close, right? The amount of stocks is around 35% uh, and the amount of housing is around 30%. Uh, then with the 50 to 90% group, you have about 10% in stock. So you see that value continuing to dwindle uh, as you move down. Uh, and then uh, the amount of housing that they own is over 40%. And then the bottom 50% owns about 10 to 15% in housing, uh, but almost nothing in stocks, right? Uh, so there's a there's a obvious disconnect in the United States, right? There's an obvious disconnect among individuals. And that disconnect uh, is pretty clear. That disconnect is that housing is the way to build wealth. Now, traditionally, a lot of people have held a lot of their wealth in uh, housing. A lot of their net worth has been uh, in their home. But that doesn't mean that that's right. Right? This is a problem. Now, I suppose the good news uh, about a scalding hot housing market is that the rest of the population uh, who don't own as many stocks aren't being completely left behind. Right? But we can't bank on the housing market uh, putting up such huge returns year in and year out. You can't uh, you know, guarantee that that's going to happen. In fact, uh, you look backwards and you see that it just doesn't happen. Right? The current housing market is an outlier. Right, and the current—I mean, the one that either we're coming out of or the one that we're currently in. Right, it's possible that the stock market will have lower returns from current levels going forward, but the fact that equity ownership is tied up in the hands of so few means that the wealth inequality gap will continue to widen. Right, and that's really the the underlying uh, idea of this episode, and the underlying idea that I wanted to um, you know get across to you is that people they fight about the the wealth inequality gap right they're saying uh you know there's no reason that you know so few people should own so much and maybe you're right right maybe you're right that uh so few people shouldn't own so much but what are you going to do right are we going to just take it from them something that they uh i mean obviously worked for and something that they created right are you going to take shares of tesla away from Elon Musk? Are you going to take shares of Amazon away uh, from Jeff Bezos? Are you going to be so confiscatory with his wealth um, to the point where you're taking large, large percentages of his wealth away? I'm not saying that it would hurt him, and I'm not saying it would hurt the rest of us. Uh, I'm just saying to do so would be unprecedented, and to do so would be you know something that we have really, really never seen. Uh, in the stock market, in uh, public policy, it would just be you know quite wild. But ultimately, 
If you know anything about the time value of money, you know anything about uh, the way that money grows, uh, as money grows, it grows on this exponential curve. So let's say you're making 10% on $1,000, that's $100, right? Uh, but let's say you're making 10% on a million dollars. Well, that's $100,000, right? So uh, making the same percentage, you can increase the amount that you have a lot quicker, right? Uh, so these individuals who are growing their money systematically over time and the value of their money is not just staying level or decreasing in value because of inflation, right? Uh, the value of their money is increasing uh, and increasing at a very high rate given that these are publicly traded companies that have had uh, really high run-ups in stock price in many cases, right? So it's no surprise uh, that you know the wealth inequality gap has gotten to what it is and uh, it's also the fact that it's probably going to get bigger, right? Uh, how are you going to stop these high-flying stocks? How are you going to stop, um, you know, Amazon from creating value? How are you going to stop uh, Tesla from, you know, dominating the electric vehicle space? How are you going to do it, right? How are you going to keep Microsoft from being the most valuable company in the world right now, right? How are you going to keep Apple uh, from continuing to provide all of the, uh, you know, different electronics that you use and that you need, right? How are you going to do that? My guess is you're probably not. And the fact that you're probably not also tells me that you're probably not going to find any decent stop uh, to the increase in uh, wealth inequality over time unless we get some type of presidential administration or some type uh, of Congress that is just so uh, staunch against the uh, you know accumulation of wealth that they're willing to do some very outlandish things that have never been done before. Right. Um, ultimately, if you keep letting these people's money grow, then it's going to keep growing. And the people who don't have any ownership of anything like stocks uh, or, you know, don't have any type of rental real estate or whatever are not going to be able to grow their wealth. Their wealth is going to basically stay the same or decrease in real terms. And ultimately, they are going to get the, the shorter end of the stick. And not only are they not going to grow, you're taking somebody like, let's say, Jeff Bezos, who has, you know, over a hundred billion dollars uh, in net worth. They're taking even Elon Musk, who I think hit like three hundred uh, billion dollars in uh, net worth, right? And you're taking that amount of net worth, and let's say you increase it by ten percent, right? That's thirty billion dollars. And I think there was this uh, article that talked about uh, Elon Musk's net worth increased by like thirty-six billion uh, in a, in a day or something like that. Very recently, when Tesla stock jumped right? Uh, that's a lot of money to increase in such a short period of time. Whereas this smaller individual is not only going to not uh, have any ownership of anything, but is going to be spending money on things and ultimately falling further and further behind. And it's not like they own a Tesla. And that's most people, right? Most people uh, are not heavy owners of stocks. Most people do not have super high net worths, but uh, the ownership in stocks is dominated at the top. Now, although the top Top 10% own the bulk of the stock market. It's estimated around 50% of the country has some ownership in the stock market. So that uh, is good news. Now, this number is far too low for anybody's liking, uh, but it's much higher than we've seen historically. Okay, no one can agree uh, with 100% certainty what caused the Great Depression of 1929 and 1932. Some people think an overheating economy caused the market to crash 85%. Other people think the stock market uh, brought down the economy. Based on the ownership structure at the time, it's hard to argue that the stock market was the main catalyst. Surprisingly, few Ameri 
Americans were even invested in the stock market in the 1920s. In the Great Crash 1929, John Kenneth Galbraith uh, estimates just 1% or so of the population even held shares in the stock market at the time of the Great Crash. So there was very concentrated ownership. Uh, the member firms of 29 exchanges in that year reported themselves as having accounts with a total of uh, over 1.5 million customers. Of these, 1.37 million uh, were customers of member firms of the NYSE. Thus, only 1.5 million people out of a population of approximately 120 million and between 29 and 30 million families had an active association in any uh, of any sort with the stock market, right? So not many people own stocks. Right. But now uh, that looks quite a bit different. Right. And that crash didn't exactly engender a sense of faith in the stock market for those who witnessed it. Right. An entire generation of people wanted nothing to do with the stock market following the Great Depression. Even the huge bull market of the 1950s, only four to five percent of the country owned shares either directly in a corporation or indirectly in a mutual fund by the middle of that decade. The 60s uh, brought a boom in growth stocks and mutual funds. While the 70s saw commissions fall off a cliff, the onset of index funds and the 401k defined contribution retirement system. Still, by the early 1980s, the percentage of Americans who owned stocks was still just 20% or so, right? It wasn't until the bull market of the 1980s and 90s that interest in the stock market really took off. The share of households with a stake in the market grew from just 19% in 1983 to over 49% in 1999. And those lucky enough to have the price of admission watched their wealth soar. By 1998, uh, the 25 to 30% of American families with household incomes north of 75,000 found that since 89, their net worth had increased some 20%. The wealthiest 5% watched their retirement funds grow by a dazzling 176%. Just like today, the rich only got richer, but the fact that the stock market went from uh, 19% uh, in 1983 uh, to 49% in 1999 was a giant leap forward. Uh, the bull market brought in tons of new investors. In 2002, fully 56% of those who owned stocks or stock funds had purchased their first shares somewhere after 1990, while 30% of all equity investors had gotten their feet wet only after 1995. And I, I think we may be seeing something very similar today, right? The reason that there's such high ownership in stocks, first of all, uh, the bond market is not providing us uh, what the bond market has historically provided, right? The bond market's not providing yields that are going to be um, you know, useful for growing your money over a long period of time. Now, it's not to say they're not useful in any type of portfolio, but their yields are just not good. But we've seen this long-running bull market, and I think people get FOMO, right? I know that people get FOMO. People fear missing out on returns. They fear missing out uh, on you know actually making some money. So they want to get in. They want to get uh, some of that you know easy money or so it seems, right? Now, we don't know how much longer the current bull market will last, but we're already beginning to see signs of a similar leap forward when it comes to young people getting involved in the markets, right? The whole Robin Hood fiasco and meme stocks, we've seen all that, right? Robin Hood announced in their S1 more than half of the 18 million accounts on their platform were the first ever brokerage accounts opened by their clients. The problem is the average account size is just $4,500, and I think it might even be smaller than that. Uh, at this point. So even millions of new investors won't make much of a dent in the overall wealth pie relative to the top 10% who owns most of the stocks. 
if we're looking for a silver lining here, uh, is that there's never been a better time to be a new investor. Fees are lower than ever. Access to investing platforms now sits in the palm of your hand. The barriers to entry are lower than they've ever been when it comes to getting more people involved in the markets. Unfortunately, uh, the final frontier is access to capital. Okay, rich people simply have more money, so they save and invest more. And higher equity ownership by the wealthiest households means that they'll only continue to get richer. Okay, um, there could be some good solution for this, but uh, the dynamic is going to be very, very hard to change. Uh, the best we can do is to get more people invested in the stock market so that they can take part in the long-term upward trajectory of innovation and profits. Look. I'm telling you as somebody who invests in the stock market, somebody who does this on a consistent basis. And real quick, thanks to Ben Carlson uh, for the great article here uh, that I referenced throughout uh, this episode. But I'm talking as somebody who uh, I, I actively invest in the market and invest large portions of my income. And I know there are a lot of us out there that actually do this, right? Uh, we don't make a dent in what the top 1% has. Right? We don't make a dent in it. Now, I wonder if we're wasting our time. Right? I wonder if we're actually wasting our time with worrying about what the top 1% has. Yes, there is wealth inequality. I get it. Right? Uh, there absolutely is. But why not just go be a part of it? Right? Be a part of it. Go earn money. Go uh, build your own wealth. Don't worry so much about what somebody else has. Don't go worry so much about what the top 1% has. Go worry about you, right? Go build what is going to be useful for you over a long period of time. And ultimately, I mean, I, I think this is just the, the God's honest truth. Ultimately, uh, if there is no act of Congress, literally, not figuratively, if there is no act of Congress, we will not see uh, a marked decline in the wealth inequality gap uh, anytime soon. Uh, the, either that or some major crash of the stock market, but that's going to push out uh, a lot of individuals as well. And that type of crash that had uh, long-term effects and, and that could uh, impact the wealth inequality gap in a, in a very real way uh, would be extremely dangerous to all and would um, you know push a bunch of individuals out. I mean, to, to get somebody uh, actually a group of people, not just one person, right? But to get uh, people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk down to a, a reasonable, quote unquote, right, level of wealth, um, what would you have to do? You know, I mean, ultimately, even a big market crash, unless it was uh, concentrated in their uh, companies, I mean, it's just going to be hard. It's going to be hard uh, to change the trajectory of the wealth inequality gap. But what's the best thing that we can do? The best thing that we can do is be involved, right? The best thing that we can do is be owners, right? Being owners is the only way that you are going to build wealth over a long period of time. Being owners in something, either being owners in your own business, right? You can build wealth that way. Being owners in real estate, you can build wealth that way. Being owners in the stock market, a bunch of people have built wealth that way and you absolutely can too. You need to be an owner, right? All of us are consumers in one way or the other. But we need to be owners. We need to own far more than we consume. We need to be uh, you know, prodigious savers and accumulators uh, of wealth because uh, if we are not, we're never going to have a shot. 
when it comes to uh, this wealth inequality gap. We're never going to have a shot when it comes to uh, saving and investing enough to actually uh, live a comfortable life in the future, because that's what we ultimately want. Who cares what Elon Musk does with his money? Who cares what Jeff Bezos does with his money? And you may make the argument that they have um, some you know social contract that they need to uh, live out fine, whatever, right? Uh, but ultimately, I, I don't care what they're doing with their money. What I care about is what I am going to do with mine, right? Uh, and I care about having money to do stuff with, right? You can sit and you can gripe and you can complain about the top 1% having as much wealth as they do. But guess what? Griping and complaining is not going to change the amount of wealth that you have. And even if uh, you gripe and complain enough that uh, you know they get a bunch of their wealth taxed away, they're still going to have way more wealth than you. Right. And they're still going to be in a position where you're still going to feel like, you know, you can't ever catch up and you're, you know, too far behind and all these types of things. So you have to take accountability for yourself. You have to take accountability for your own position and actually go out and try to build something for yourself. If you fail to do that, then you're going to fail in your financial life. I am trying to motivate you guys every day. And I tell you this all the time. I'm trying to motivate you to action. And today's motivation uh, is all about getting out and buying stocks, buying real estate, buying uh, things that are going to appreciate in value over a long period of time at a reasonable clip, right? A reasonable percentage rate uh, over a long period of time so that you can grow your wealth. I want you to be able to grow your wealth. I want you to be able to build uh, something in the stock market or in the real estate market or whatever, but I want you to be a part of it. And obviously, if so many of the top 1% are so heavily involved in the stock market, uh, it is far more a winner's game than it is a loser's game. Uh, now, are you ever going to be Jeff Bezos? It's not likely, right? Are you ever going to be Elon Musk? It's not likely unless you know you create a company and end up going public and uh, take over the world, right? Uh, but ultimately, you can build something substantial for yourself, for your family, uh, and it can be something that will allow you to have financial freedom and allow you to do the things you want to. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to get for you on this show every single day as I bring you more and more content that hopefully is helping you uh, to reach your long-term financial goals. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.